The following program is a PBS Wisconsin original production. We've reached an agreement here in the assembly on the Brewers package. A flurry of activity in the state capitol, including a new deal to update the Brewers baseball stadium in an effort to keep the team in Milwaukee. Plus, Wisconsin reaction on the deadly conflict in Gaza. I'm Frederica Freiberg. Tonight on Here and Now, two members of Congress join us with their thoughts on how to proceed on the deadly and developing conflict between Israel and Hamas. And we ask them about the hunt for a new House Speaker. Then, a roundup of a busy week in the state legislature. Also tonight, we learn about a program that aims to increase black home ownership. It's Here and Now for October 20. Funding for Here and Now is provided by the Focus Fund for Journalism and Friends of PBS Wisconsin. The horror continues to unfold now nearly two weeks after Hamas terrorists launched a deadly surprise attack in Israel. President Joe Biden seeks $100 billion in military and humanitarian aid, including for Israel and Ukraine. Meanwhile, leadership in the House of Representatives, which would have to vote on that aid package, has been in chaos. The Republican majority has struggled mightily to elect a speaker. On this, we head to Washington now for a check-in with members of the Wisconsin congressional delegation on this developing situation on two fronts. First, we talk with Wisconsin's 6th Congressional District U.S. Representative, Republican Glenn Grothman. And Congressman, thanks very much for being here. Be on the show. So you and the rest of the Wisconsin delegation continued to support Representative uh, Jim Jordan in multiple failed votes for speaker, minus Derek Van Orden, who we know is absent because he is now in Israel. What is your response to being part of this disarray, really, that has left U.S. government unable to fully govern? problem is, I think leadership over a period of years, and maybe they couldn't have done anything different, failed to instill in the Republicans the idea that you have an internal vote first, a paper ballot vote, a secret vote between people who want to be speaker. And then the person who wins that vote, every single Republican is supposed to stick behind them on the floor so we can go ahead. Unfortunately, in the last week or so, um, there are a given number of people who would not vote for Kevin McCarthy, the speaker. I voted for him. There are a given number of people who would not vote for Steve Scalise, who was the majority leader right under the speaker. We did not take that vote to the floor, but 10 to 15 people made a credible threat that they would not vote on the floor. So Steve Scalise withdrew. And the third man up was Jim Jordan, and we've now given him three votes, which, quite frankly, is more than enough votes. Um, and he lost 20, then 22, then 25 votes. So your listeners understand if they lose more than three votes, they don't have the votes to govern. And like I said, I think it comes down to a lack of preparation from the beginning. I think of the eight people who voted against Kevin McCarthy, I believe only one of those eight uh, was around when I got to Congress just a few years ago. So I think they've done a really bad job of educating the freshmen on the idea behind team play. 
A House vote would be needed uh, for the $100 billion military and humanitarian aid package to include Israel and Ukraine that President Biden is seeking and spoke to in an address to the nation Thursday night. What is your support for that kind of aid package? There are two parts to it. First of all, we do have to get aid to Israel, but we also have to realize that we've got to make it clear to Joe Biden we're not taking uh, these Palestinian folks in America as refugees. They have been raised from early on to hate Jews in general. Um, and Egypt, which is the obvious place for these people to go, will not take them. And I think they won't take them because they know very well who they'd be getting. So we don't want uh, these Gaza people showing up here, much less a million of them. With regard to Ukraine, I voted for Ukraine packages six times in the past, but uh, the Biden administration is not trying to negotiate an end here, or they're not deputizing the Turks or the French or somebody to work towards an end. The Biden administration, this thing's been going on for about a year and a half, and I think they'd be happy if it went on another year and a half without making any steps towards peace. Somehow we got to uh, send the message to the Biden administration that we want peace in Russia, and they are doing from what I can tell, nothing. I'll also point out that when the Russian-Ukraine war started, it seemed like every six weeks or couple months, we received private briefings from the relevant people in the Biden administration as to what was going on. We have not received a briefing on what's going on in Ukraine since before Christmas. So for whatever reason, the Biden administration is not talking to Congress. And that's another reason to vote no for now until they let us know what's going on there. So you are saying, uh, with less than 30 seconds left, that you would vote no on this uh, military and humanitarian aid package? Well, they can call it military and humanitarian, but like I said, the two things we want is some effort from the Biden administration to work towards peace and some guarantee they're not going to open up the doors and give us, say, a million Palestinian refugees. Representative Glenn Grothman, thanks very much. Thank you. Next, we turn to 2nd Congressional District U.S. Representative Mark Pocan, who has called for a ceasefire of hostilities against civilians in the war between Israel and Hamas to pave the way for robust aid in an unfolding humanitarian crisis. He joins us now. Thanks very much for being here. Yeah, thank you, Frederica. First, uh, in, in the face of war and humanitarian crisis, the House of Representatives' Republican majority is in chaos. How does their struggle to elect a speaker affect the U.S. response in Israel? Well, it affects anything that we can do in Congress. We can't pass any legislation on the floor until we have a speaker by our rules. Um, and because of that, uh, until we have a speaker, um, we're, we're a bit paralyzed. Now, action is happens often at the administration level, so the president is acting and doing what we need to in the immediate uh, situation, some world events. Uh, but we do need Congress uh, to pass funding and other issues that are going to have to happen, and, and you can only do that when the Republican caucus uh, becomes less chaotic and, and can select a speaker. Did President Biden address last night what you think is needed in terms of supplemental military and humanitarian aid uh, funding? Well, what we need um, absolutely is uh, funding for uh, humanitarian needs in particular. Um, you know, I, I think that figure is going to have to 
be much more substantial than we've seen in the past, given world events. Um, and I think that's really important because that is an important part of how the U.S. is positioned in the world, is that kind of showing that compassionate values of our country. Um, and there will also be additional military assistance for Ukraine. Uh, they're proposing for uh, Israel and, and some border funding and other things. There's also going to be another domestic supplemental that will have money for things like child care and other issues. So those are two things that Congress does have to act on, which is, again, all the more reason why we need to have a speaker so that we can do that. Uh, short of that, some of those funds cannot be expended. You've called for a cessation of hostilities towards civilians in, in the region. What are your urgent concerns about what's happening right now? Yeah, I, I mean, there's no question. This was a horrific attack by a terrorist organization, Hamas, and um, the price has to be paid, right? I, I don't blame uh, Israel in going after Hamas. The problem is what we're seeing is not going after strategically Hamas. We're seeing a, a collective punishment, it appears to be, of the of all Palestinians in Gaza. There are 2.2 million people. Clearly, they are not all Hamas. Half of them are children. And uh, we've seen thousands plus now of people die, dead, including children. Um, and the amount of bombing, uh, the type of places that are being bombed, the very broad attack is not a targeted attack going after Hamas. And that's why we want to stop the cessation of um, of this in uh, in regards to civilians in particular. And the only way um, that you can you know, ensure that, that people aren't being just punished is to do that. Uh, just speaking with Republican Glenn Grothman, he and others called to close our borders to Palestinian refugees. What's your response to that? It's incredibly xenophobic. I mean, obviously, uh, not all Palestinians are members of Hamas uh, by a, a, an unbelievable amount. Um, uh, and uh, Hamas doesn't necessarily represent the Palestinian people. In fact, uh, they've uh, had people in Gaza uh, under quite tough conditions with their governing in that area, combined by uh, the, the inability for people to come and go because of Israel um, and Egypt on the borders. Uh, has really made this, uh, in many ways, an open-air prison for 2.2 million people for a long time. I've talked about Gaza for years. I've twice been denied when I've been there to get in. I had just recently gotten permission from Israel to go. I would be the first member in 10 years to be able to go in, and then this happened. Um, it, it's been an issue that's been brewing for a long time, um, but clearly a horrific attack like occurred um, is wrong at any level. There's no justification whatsoever. But having the over-response that's happening, um, including uh, people saying no Palestinians should be able to come, that's a ridiculous statement. And it really shows, I think, a, a unawareness of what's actually happening on the ground. Representative Mark Pocan, thanks very much for joining us. Sure. Thank you. Turning to state capital news, it was a busy week in legislative business. The State Assembly passed a $545 million plan for renovation of the Milwaukee Brewers Stadium to keep the team in the city through 2050. This is a bipartisan deal that focuses on making sure that we are going to get more revenue coming into the state to spend on programs uh, that people consider to be important than if the team left. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, as co-chair of the legislature's employment committee, also approved a pay raise for state employees. 
but not for UW staff because of its diversity, equity, and inclusion positions. I would love to outlaw DEI and be as aggressive as we possibly can be, but again, trying to find a middle ground. Uh, I am trying to make sure that the situation does not get worse than where it is now. On the Senate side, the Republican majority passed a $2 billion income tax cut and expanded child care credits in answer to Governor Tony Evers' call for a $1 billion workforce package. Evers is expected to veto the Republican proposal. Meanwhile, this week, the governor announced he would use $170 million in federal pandemic relief money to keep the Child Care Counts program until 2025. The Senate also voted to fire eight appointees Evers nominated to boards, including the majority of members on the Natural Resources Board, an elections commissioner, and the chair of the Medical Examining Board. Evers called it insanity and immediately replaced those rejected with new appointees. Turning now to our series of special reports on race with Wisconsin in Black and White in partnership with the Nehemiah Center for Urban Leadership Development. Last week, reporter Nathan Denzine explored the legacy of urban renewal programs and fair housing protests. Tonight, we take a look at what organizations around Wisconsin are doing now to help black people build toward a better future. Here's the next installment of Wisconsin in Black and White, Racial Wealth Gap. Historical wrongs like blatant housing discrimination in Wisconsin. I am sorry we didn't The Federal Fair Housing Act is supposed to protect renters or buyers from discrimination based on a number of protected classes, including race. However, Discrimination in the housing market has persisted in the 55 years since it became law. It is as or more prevalent today than it has been in the past. The discrimination is a reality. It's not hypothetical, it's not theoretical, it still happens. It's just more subtle. These two people, one white and one black, test for discrimination in housing as a part of Wisconsin's Fair Housing Council, a nonprofit that ensures realtors and landlords follow the law. They have been made anonymous to ensure they can continue to test. This 1961 film was recorded in Madison at the height of segregation, but it was hidden by the University of Wisconsin and never shown to the public until 2021. Flash forward to today. And today's time is probably more subtle, but they've already concluded that they're not going to rent you the apartment. The two testers from the Fair Housing Council recently toured the same apartment building and found discrimination based on race. I went to uh, an apartment building. I asked if a unit was available uh, October. They said nothing was available. Yeah, they did show me more than one apartment, so, so they were very, very uh, eager to show me around. However, the black tester had a different experience. But I never saw the actual unit because it wasn't available. One thing I remember clearly about this is that they were just so engaging and they were they repeated like two or three times over, um, you know, the amenities that they had. And then the person made a slip up and said, well, there was something available in October, but that's gone now. And so then you become aware of like, 
what's going on in the back of your mind. On top of discrimination by landlords, lenders like Associated Bank in Milwaukee, Racine, and Kenosha were part of a recent $200 million redlining settlement. A federal complaint in the case alleged the denial of mortgages to black and Hispanic applicants. Many banks have been caught with their hands in a cookie jar, giving black and Latino borrowers different loans than they give whites. Reggie Jackson educates people about diversity. Jackson noted that despite the Fair Housing Act, the black home ownership rate has not improved much since 1968. Rennell Washington says that shuts black families out of the ability to create generational wealth. Housing is the cornerstone to the beginning of a financial journey. There have been uh, laws and policies that created some of the disinvestment, the plight, and the wrong that we're experiencing today. Even if those laws were changed 50 years ago, the consequences of them are still absolutely present. And so Elmer Moore Jr. and Rennell Washington play critical roles in the Wisconsin Housing and Economic Development Authority. It's about um, trying our best, honestly, to correct some historical wrongs. The duo cares deeply about evening historical gaps caused by housing discrimination. They provide affordable loans, rental units, and mortgages to low-income individuals. Plus, they invest in future housing or business projects. There's 147,000 families who've been able to buy homes across the state because of the mortgages we'd have made available. And they might not have otherwise been able to afford those things. Making really intentional decisions to spur affordable housing development in our inner city communities is one of the ones that we definitely have a lens on. That's sequestering some resources and intentionally investing in black communities is the right thing to do. WIDA has funded developments in Milwaukee's Bronzeville neighborhood, including the GRIO, which fashioned apartments out of an old schoolhouse. It brought new businesses. It obviously brought new residents. It also does things like plants new trees. Housing is that cornerstone. And from that, I can have conversations about aspiring to be an entrepreneur. Building equity in your house can spur the creation of a second way to build wealth, your own business. And while Black-owned businesses have seen an uptick in recent years, there is still a large disparity between black and white-owned businesses in Wisconsin. And our work does what lots of folks don't do primarily, is to center the needs of black women. Sabrina Madison is the founder of the nonprofit Progress Center for Black Women in Madison. The first level that I really want to see is black folks having more power in their pockets. And I always go with the fact, black women in Dane County on average in 2016 earned 57 cents on every dollar made by white men. I wanted to give black women another option to be successful. To help close the gap, the Progress Center provides black women with programming that includes financial health, professional development, and entrepreneurship. Oftentimes, programming is very piecemeal, where you gotta go to one side of town for this, you gotta go somewhere for that, you gotta wait on a phone call for this other thing. And we wanted to sort of like center all of your needs in one space. Madison says her foundation has helped hundreds of women create their own business or secure a better job. 
I absolutely want to see the rest of the state, but more importantly, Madison and Milwaukee, extend its black uh, leaders through wealth creation. Because with wealth, you have more power. Despite the work of WIDA and the Progress Center, Madison says everyone has to buy in to make Wisconsin a more equitable place. So these visions that black folks have for their lives as Wisconsinites, because we too are from Wisconsin and we too live here, that you want to also be part of this vision and see this vision expanded. While that vision might take years to be realized, Madison says the work starts today. For Here and Now, I'm Nathan Denzine. Our Wisconsin in Black and White series on the racial wealth gap focused on the barriers to homeownership for people of color in Wisconsin. Special Project journalist Merv Seymour launched the project and tonight has this report on work in two cities to get people into their own homes, starting first in Milwaukee. The city of Milwaukee has a $5,000 grant, but you have to live in the city of Milwaukee. School is always in at Milwaukee Area Technical College. The minimal credit score requirement um, to get pre-approved for a home loan is 620. On this day... Make sure that you're paying your bills on time. Members of the Men of Color Initiative, a mentoring group that helps black and brown men get through college, learn about the ins and outs of what it takes to become a homeowner. You need to show that you've been working for like six months to a year. The goal is to encourage and educate students like Jeremiah Crawford to become homeowners sooner rather than later. I think homeownership for the black community is a, a dream that many don't believe they can achieve. When I bought that duplex, I was not making a lot of money at all. It's more than just having a place to stay. It's about building your future. You don't want to have to continue to rent from someone and paying their mortgage when you can be paying your own mortgage. The Alvarado Real Estate Group is a small brokerage. From a small office just down the street from Camp Randall Stadium in Madison, owners of Alvarado Realty Group look to change the game in real estate. We are unapologetic about supporting black and brown homeownership. They do it by putting their mouth where their money is. Sarah Alvarado candidly admits growing up, she thought everyone had an equal path towards owning a home. At last, the Bryants have all the space they need. Big floor-to-ceiling closets for each member of the family. If your parents go to college, you just assume you're going to go to college. And if your parents have a house, you assume you're going to have a house. So it wasn't until I started working with people who was like, oh my gosh, you know, to own a house is my dream. Historians and housing experts openly acknowledge for too long, federally run race-based policies like redlining and overall discrimination have systemically kept homeownership out of reach for most black and brown families. Dane County numbers, it's 15% of families that are black or brown own homes compared to 65% of white families. In 1968, when they had the Fair Housing Act, and then they were like, okay, now no discrimination, you know, black and brown people go ahead and try and catch up to this accumulation of wealth and these neighborhoods that have been segregated on purpose and these school districts that have been segregated on purpose. Um, how, how is that possible without there, some, without there being a, a plan of some sort? Sarah and her husband's plan is called Own It, Building Black Wealth. It is a down payment assistant program with an education aspect to it. In a partnership with One City Schools where more than 85% of the students are black and brown, Own It funds a $15,000 payment towards a home for any One City okay. teacher or parent. Doing? We're about learning and teaching about wealth building because 
wealth building in itself is critical and there are lots of different ways to do it. Fueled by our growing number of real estate professionals, investors, homeowners, and anyone who wants to change the narrative, contributions and proceeds from home sales drive Own It. We get a lot of contributions within the real estate industry and within the community. And we've had sellers who, at the time of closing, write a check. Sometimes it's $1,000. Meet Jody Pope and her son Cameron. We knew nothing um, as children really about home ownership. When you put your fingers on there, what does it do? Since Own It took launch in 2020, the Sun Prairie single mom is one of 10 families in the Madison area who now proudly owns and no longer rents because of the program. Home ownership is significant. It was an emotional process um, because I almost didn't get the keys. This was my seventh offer. We met with Jody days away from the one-year anniversary of her move-in. It's ours, so it gives you a sense of pride, a sense of ownership. I've kind of leaned into my projects and I've hung drywall. I painted. My son and I are social and I love to be able to host people over here. No one can tell you to leave. No one can tell you what you can do. You can paint the wall. You can, you know, put Steph Curry stickers all over the wall and on the ceiling fan. His mom says gradually, Cameron is getting more comfortable in their new community. My son can walk to school. He never has had the neighborhood experience of having friends that live two and three doors down. Being able to provide that stability to go to the same school for your entire life from here out, right? That type of stability to form those relationships with the friendships, with teachers within the school district is key. Jody says most importantly, her son is learning about wealth and home ownership. To teach him how to put a new handle on a toilet, which I've done, how to unclog a garbage disposal. Our housing prices, rental prices, it leaves us out. We need to do this. The name Own It represents the painful past. Owning the history of what has happened in the real estate industry. While supporting the promising future. It is literally me owning this place. Reporting for Here Now, I'm Murph Seymour. Next week on Wisconsin in Black and White, a look at health divides in Wisconsin. For more on this and other issues facing Wisconsin, visit our website at pbswisconsin.org and then click on the News tab. That's our program for tonight. I'm Frederica Freiberg. Have a good weekend. Funding for Here and Now is provided by the Focus Fund for Journalism and Friends of PBS Wisconsin.